0: Amen. If you had to describe the Christian life with one word, what word would you use? I suppose there's all kinds of them that we could put in there. Some people might say, well, it's forgiven or grace-filled or whatever. I really think that one word that should be used to describe people who are Christ followers is the word joy. Joy. I mean, it's another way of saying happiness, but I like that word joy. If you can remember back that far, well, even this last Christmas, if you go back 2,000 years ago, at the very first Christmas, what did the angel say? Behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy. It was not great faith, it was not great love, it was not great peace, it was not even great obedience. It was great joy. Jesus' ministry, I think a lot of people think, man, Jesus kind of labored from town to town. But if you read the scriptures, Jesus' whole ministry was characterized by joy. It said that everywhere he went and he healed and he spoke, the people were filled with joy. When he sent the 72 out to minister for a while, it said they returned with joy. On Easter Sunday, the men and the women, when they heard that Jesus has risen from the dead, they were filled with what? Joy. The very first church that's talked about in the book of Acts, it says they worshiped with joy. Paul even says, when I pray for you, I pray for you not just with joy, but with great joy. In Luke 15, here's another one. You know, every time, the Bible says, every time someone turns to the Lord, there is joy in heaven. And yet, I I am still surprised how many people think that following Jesus is less than a joyful experience. A lot of people think, oh man, being a Christian is a bunch of rules and regulations and rituals. But you know, in Romans chapter 14, 17, it says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I would suggest to you that the deeper your roots are in Jesus the more joy you will have in your life but sadly a lot of people don't really enjoy life Do you know people like that they just seem to kind of endure life they kind of go through life they kind of go through the motions without any emotions and particularly without any emotion of joy One of our friends, uh, Dr. Jennifer Baker, is a family therapist. I want to read you something that, that she's written. Quote, our American culture is all about happiness. But when we say we belong to God, we are really saying that he can do anything he wants with our lives. This may mean that we're not always happy. We are called to honor Him, but going from one experience to another experience so that we can feel loved or happy does not honor God. It doesn't help other people to know Him. It does not speak of goodness, kindness, patience, self control. It does speak about making ourselves the focus. Searching only for happiness is very deceptively self centered. End of quote. Do you know that the more you grow in Jesus, the deeper your roots get, the more joyful God will make you? In fact, I I just thought about this morning. I haven't really run this around in my own head long enough, but I'm going to say it anyhow. But I I, I think that understanding what real joy in Jesus is, is to be not worried if you lose all the other stuff that you think makes you happy. Think about that one for a while. I mean, you think about what makes you happy. There's all kinds of stuff, you know, your wife, your your husband, your kids, your job, all that stuff kind of makes you happy. But I think if you got real joy in Jesus, all that could be gone. In fact, if you are Lutherans, for heaven's sake, what did Martin Luther say? And take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife, let these all be gone. Yet they have nothing won; the kingdom ours remains. I'm not so sure we believe that when we sing it. By the way, I'm not so sure. See when I have no joy or happiness in my life, it means that at that point when I say I'm not happy, I'm not joyful, at that point I'm living in a very shallow relationship with Jesus because the deeper my relationship is in Him, the deeper my joy will be. Now thus far in this series we have talked about radical gratitude We talked about radical faith. Next week, we're going to talk about radical love. That'll be fun. But what does it mean when we talk about radical joy? Radical joy. Well, you see, Philippians chapter 4, right there, it says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Now, the key word there is always. Always. That's radical joy. Now, the question is, how is it possible to always be joyful well it's answered up there in the lord how can i always be joyful well it's in the lord now in the lord or in christ i even said this at the beginning of the service this is paul's favorite description of what it means to be a christ follower he it's used 167 times just in the new testament rejoice in the lord be in christ i mean how do we do that well, fortunately, you know, I've, we've been talking about whole chapters. Last week when we talked about radical faith, you looked at the cha- uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Today we're going to look at another whole chapter of the Bible that talks about radical joy. It's Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, believe me, there there's a lot more than this, but I can tell you that in Romans 8, there are at least six reasons we have to be joyful. I mean, there's no excuse for anybody to walk out of here this morning and look like, a, a Lutheran who's been baptized in vinegar <laughs> you ought to go out this morning and say man life may have kicked me in the rear end this week but by golly I'm still joyful and I'm gonna give you six reasons why here's reason number one reason number one if I'm in Christ in other words, if I'm a Christ follower God has completely forgiven me I don't know about you but that's cause for joy if, if you look at the text yeah, Romans 8.1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, I looked up the word no in the original Greek. Mark may know this, he studies his Greek. You know, but in the original Greek, what does the word no mean? <laughs> it is the strongest negative possible in the Greek language. It means No. It means no, no, no. It means not in a million years. It means not a chance in your lifetime. It means never, never, never. It ain't going to happen. Not a zero zip. No condemnation. Don't don't even bother to think about it. That's what that that little word means. That is so important because one of the number one reasons people lose their joy is because of guilt and shame. But see, God doesn't want you to be robbed of joy. And believe me, some of you hang around with a lot of joy suckers. You know, there are people who would love to suck the joy right out of you. Man, I know people who could suck the joy out of another Christian at 100 yards. Man, don't have anything to do with those folks. You know, God doesn't want you to be robbed of joy. He says, come to me, receive my forgiveness through my son Jesus, and guess what, there's no condemnation. Now, does God ever want you to feel guilty? I thought about this week. God ever want me to feel guilty? My response was, I think, yeah, but just long enough to say, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Just about that long. And then he wipes it away, he forgives it, he forgets it. The Bible even says he buries our sin in the deepest part of the, the ocean. And so you got to remember that when Jesus died on that cross, he didn't just die for the sins that you you already committed. He died for all the ones you guys haven't even done yet. They're all covered in the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ covered... All of our sins, past, present, and future. It's on the cross that Jesus took all of our condemnation. That's what he died for. So after you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you say, yeah, Lord, he's my Lord and my Savior. What happens when you sin? Well, when you sin, God doesn't get mad at you. That always bugs me. I hear people every once in a while, oh, man, pastor, I did something. God must really hate me now. Oh, God doesn't hate you. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say God hates you. I mean, come on. Get rid of that silly idea. Now, God hates your sin, but he loves the sinner. God doesn't get mad. God doesn't get even. I, I used to go to, I went to school with a kid who always thought God was up on the throne with lightning bolts waiting for, for Christians, or in our case, Lutherans, to sin so he could just smoke them <laughs> with a lightning bolt. You're like, God's going to get you, you know, step on the crack, break your mother's back kind of stuff. Man, what stinking thinking? See, the sin you just committed has already been paid for. When Jesus died on the cross, all sins were stamped out, paid in full. He says, don't dig them up. What we're talking about here is salvation. Salvation means all my sins have been forgiven. That is a source of great joy. In fact, David in Psalm 13 says, my heart finds joy in salvation. Now, here's reason number two. You You ought to be happy. You ought to be joyful. If I'm in Christ, God has given me eternal life. You know what that means? It means that death is not an end. In fact, it's it's really a beginning. Now, you know something, if this life, this life right now, the one we're living now, if this is all there is, I don't find much reason to be joyful if this life is all there is. You know, granted, there's some things here that kind of make us happy. You know, Miss Helen, when the longhorns win, you're happy, right? (laughs) But this year, you weren't happy. Happiness is fleeting. But are you still a happy person? You're happy in the Lord. You know, but if this world, the stuff that turns us on and gets us excited, this is all there is, folks. This is pretty sad, in a way. But because of sin, what do we, we live on a broken planet. This is not heaven where stuff is done God's way. In fact, here it's done our way and our life, life is not unfair. In fact, this life sometimes is pretty tragic. And the, and the reason we have joy is we know that we're not going to be here forever. Oh, we may be here 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 70 years, 80 years, you know, like one of our, our members we buried this Friday, 92 years. But Romans chapter 11 says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So just as he raised Christ from the dead... He'll give life to your mortal body by the same spirit. I was looking at this last week, the mortal body. Have you looked at yourself in the mirror lately? You're not half the man or woman you used to be. In fact, some of us are far more than we used to be. I mean, everything is decaying and declining. In fact, my friend talks about how men suffer from the killer bees, baldness, bulges, and bifocals. In fact, he said, some of us have furniture problems. Our chest drops into our drawers. Uh, that's our mortal body. That's our mortal body. But God says you're going to get a new one someday. Uh, and then God even goes so far as to say, in fact, Paul talks about it. Paul says God already knew who was going to accept him as Lord and Savior. And yet he still created everybody in this world. Romans 8:29. For God knew his people in advance. He chose them to be like his son so that his son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. Now, I got to tell you, if I stopped right there and said those first two reasons I gave if that's all there was, that ought to be plenty for you to be happy as a clam at high tide. You really should. Now, just think about it. Your sins have been completely forgiven. You're going to have a permanent home in heaven. Isn't that enough to make you happy? I mean, if God never did another thing for you in your entire life, You owe him your happiness, your joy, your praise, your worship, every reason for joy right there. But guess what? God's always got more. Here's reason number three. If I'm in Christ, God is working all things for good. Romans 8.28, we know that in all things, that's the good, the bad, the ugly, in all things God works for the good. Now, it doesn't say that all things are good, but it says he works for good. We talked about that last week of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. I want you to know that's a promise, but that promise right there is not for everybody. In fact, it might not be for some of you who are here today. If you're living a life in rebellion with God, if you're thumbing your nose to God, if you're rejecting God and God's purpose in your life and going your own way, kind of giving him a nod and a wink when you come into church and then go out there and live like a pagan the rest of the week, then all things probably are working for the bad in your life not for the good. This is the promise for those, what? Who have been called according to his purpose. You see, when you say, God, I want to live for your purpose. I want to do the right thing. I want to follow you trust you. Then God says, okay, then I can take everything in your life and I can work it out for good. I don't know about you, but that's a reason for joy. This means I can relax. <laughs> I can stop saying uh, s- silly stuff like, am I making the right decision? Am I doing the right thing? you're not going to have any joy in your life if that's what you're walking around doing all the time, but if you just kind of sit back, you know, picture yourself in a spiritual recliner watching the bears win. No, you're sitting back in a spiritual recliner, kind of doing the best you can with what you have for Jesus. He says, even if you don't get it right, I can still work it out for good. That's how it works. I mean, that's a reason for joy, but Some of you might even be thinking, well, how can I be joyful? I mean, come on, Pastor. I know what you're saying, but I'm having some tough times. How can I be joyful in those tough times? I mean, I don't know what's going on particularly in your life now, but some of you might say, life really stinks right now. How can I still be joyful? Well, I think there's two things you can do. One is you can look past the problem, you can look past the pain, and you can look toward God and look toward his solution. Hebrews 12 said, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I mean, think about this. On the cross, do you think, what if Jesus would have gone, Oh my gosh, this hurts, I can't stand this. He wasn't doing that. On the cross, he looked past the pain. He looked past the problems to see the joy of what? The joy of all people who would be saved because of what he did on the cross. He looked past the pain He saw God's plan. He looked past the pain. He saw the reward. We need to to learn how to do that, too, to look past what's going on now and see the joy that's set before us. I think it's the second thing you can do, and that's one. The other thing is just to keep on doing the right thing even when you don't feel like it. That's sometimes hard. Psalm 119 says, As pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. I mean, all David was saying is, man, sometimes life is tough, but I just keep on chugging away. I just keep on doing what I know you want me to do. Now let me give you another reason for joy. Here's reason four. If I'm in Christ, God is for me. Not just with me. That's a promise too. Not just with me, but he is for me. Verse 31. What can we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? I had somebody tell me not long ago, I got a lot of people who don't really like me. I said, join the crowd. <laughs> and then I, I told them something kind of kind of goofy. I said, you know, if God likes you and you like yourself and other people don't like you, that's their problem. I mean the fact that God likes me is enough for me. I mean, one plus God is always the majority. I found that out in life. But you know something? God wants it, but there's somebody who doesn't want it. It's called Satan. Satan does not want you to be happy. Satan uses fear to rob you of every joy that Jesus has in store for you. I mean, Satan knows all the things that will make you joyful. So what does he do? He tries to come up with a fear that opposes that joy. I mean, he'll tell you, if you do the right thing, Other people are going to think you're weird. If you do the right thing, you won't be popular. If you hold to those silly church standards, you're never going to find a husband or a wife. If you do the right thing, people are going to say you're a religious nut. See, he's trying to get you afraid so you don't do what brings you joy. I mean, Satan knows the sources of our joy. I'll give you a good example. One of the greatest sources of joy is when a Christian can share Jesus with an unbeliever. That's one of the greatest joys any Christian could ever have, to share Jesus with an unbeliever, but yet it's also our greatest fear. Why? Some of you are scared to death to do it. It's because Satan put that fear in your life to destroy that joy. I mean, Satan also knows that speaking the truth in love is the right thing. You speak the truth in love, it brings joy. But he said, how can you tell anybody the truth? I mean, look at your life. You're not perfect. If you talk to other people about the right thing to do, huh, they're going to figure out that you don't even know how to do it. He wants to rob your joy. But see, the good news, Romans 8, says, who can accuse the people God has chosen? No one, because God is the one who makes them right. That doesn't mean you don't sin. But it says nobody can accuse you. When somebody starts accusing you of all the things you've done wrong, I I learned this from a friend one time. He said, you know, when other people want to go stick their pointy little satanic finger in your face and tell you all the bad stuff you've done, he says, with the confidence and the joy that you have in Jesus, you can say to them, you're right. I've done a lot of bad things, but... I'm also a trophy of grace. I'm a trophy of grace. And God says, because my sins are forgiven, I'm under no condemnation. See, the Bible says you're going to have persecution, no doubt about it. It says, beware when all men speak well of you. That's an interesting verse. Believe me, if nobody ever says anything bad against you, I'd suggest it probably only means one thing. You're probably not standing for anything. You know, the turtle only gets hurt when he sticks his neck out, right? The Bible says, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will experience persecution. Now, Jesus was the perfect person. None of you are, neither am I. Yet, Jesus was constantly criticized. Jesus was constantly misunderstood. Jesus was constantly lied about. Now, I, I always think, if, he, if they did that to him, why, what makes you think they wouldn't do to you who follow him? I don't know if you remember the last beatitude we covered. We did a series not long ago called Life's Healing Choices. We went through the beatitude. I couldn't even remember it either when I was thinking. I thought, there's a beatitude about this. I didn't even have to look it up myself. But it said, blessed are you when men revile you. Blessed are men, in other words, when people put you down and persecute you for my sake. He said, rejoice. That's what that beatitude says. Be happy. Romans 8 says, none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. That's great. Here's reason number five. If I'm in Christ, God's going to meet all my needs. Notice it doesn't say greeds. God did not promise you an iPad. You know, that greedy little buggers we are. He didn't promise you a, you know, a certain kind of phone. He meets your needs. God's promises. So, what, what do I have to worry about? Well, the problem is we worry about it. And worries a killjoy. I, I want to read this for I'm reading a book right now that's called. Crazy love so I'll read just a little bit of this he's talking about worry and stress uh, the author's name is Francis Chan he said when I am consumed by my problems stressed out about my life my family, my job I actually convey the belief that I think the circumstance, that my circumstances are more important than God's command to rejoice in other words I believe I have a right to disobey God because of the magnitude of my responsibilities. He said, worry, anybody here a good worry? Don't put your hand up, you're not going to like this. Worry implies that we don't quite trust that God is big enough, powerful enough, or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. That's why we worry. Anybody here stressed? Don't put your hand up if you won't like this either. Stress says that the things we are involved in are important enough to merit our impatience, our lack of grace towards other people, or our tight grip of control. Basically, these two behaviors, worry and stress, communicate that it's okay to sin and not trust God because the stuff in our life is somehow more important. Whoa. I can... I can tell you that it wanged me between the eyes, too. Tough stuff. Tough stuff. Romans 8, what does it say? Since God did not spare even his own son. Who's that? Jesus. But gave him up for all of us. Won't God, who gave us Christ, also give us everything else? But we're so worried, and we're so stressed out that we don't have what, 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 what we want. Man. When God solved your biggest problem and came to earth to die for you, Don't you think he probably cares about your money, your finances, or your relationships, or your health, or your job, or your career? He cares about that. And because he cares, that's a source of joy. Philippians says, my God will meet all your needs, not greed's needs, according to his glorious riches, in Christ Jesus. There's that little phrase again. Most of us, I, I say, don't really understand this. And as a result, because we don't understand this, we don't pray for it. One of my favorite Bible verses is Psalm 84, verse 11. It says, No good thing will the Lord withhold from those who do what is right. Let me say that again. No good thing will the Lord withhold from those who are doing right. Now, God wants you to pray and get answers more than you want to pray and more than you want answers. I mean, at least 20 times in the Bible, God says, Ask. I love this quote. Someone said, God never shuts his storehouse until you shut your mouth. <laughs> How true is that? The Bible says, the book of James, you have not. Why? Because you ask not. I think the reason some people don't see miracles in their life is because they don't bother asking for them. And if they ask them, they don't really believe it will happen. I mean, God wants to do stuff in your life that you can't even Imagine. That that little email I read before, I was very happy and content to teach 10 people in Haiti. We were overjoyed we could get 10 people. God says, 10? How about 50? And who knows? (laughs) I've been places before to teach 10 or 50, and it turned out to be 500. I don't know if it's going to be 500, but all I know is God can answer prayers, stuff that we're not even thinking about. Here's reason number six. If I'm in Christ, God will never stop loving me. Oh, this is a text we often read at funerals, Romans chapter 3. I'm going to read a little bit of it. For I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Death can't, life can't. Angels can't, demons can't. Our fears for the day, our worries about tomorrow, the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. This to be an old song called Put Your Hand in the Hand of the Man from Galilee you know once you put your hand in Jesus hands it's out of your hands you know when my kids were little we're going to cross the street they put their hands in my hands guess what it was out of their hands why because daddy had them there's no way they're going to get halfway across that street and decide to go back the other direction they can pull but I tell you daddy's hands are bigger and stronger than the kids hands You know what that's called? That's called, for my kids, that's called security. For us, it's called eternal security. I mean, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Be honest, folks, if you earn your salvation by working for it, the moment you start working, you lose your salvation. But if you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. It's, it's, It's a gift. It's always been a gift. And once it's given to you, and once you put your hand in, the Bible says that even if you have these periods of unfaithfulness, he can't be unfaithful to himself. God promises to hold on to you once you've got a hold of it. John 10, they are in my hands, and no one can, clutch or can pluck them out. If you read about God's hands, it's kind of interesting, because there's, there's a passage that talks about you're in God's hands, nobody can pluck you out. There's another passage that says God's hand is over you. There's another passage that says God's hands surround you. Now, I don't know if there's something under you, over you, and around you. I'd say that's fairly secure, wouldn't you? (laughs) You're well sealed. That means that no matter what happens, even if you lose your mind. I said this at the funeral the other day of somebody who died at Alzheimer's. Some people worry about that. What about people in the last stages of their life who lose the ability to think? I said, even if you lose your mind. I believe you're safe in the hands of God. You made that confession of faith. He'll never, never, ever stop loving you. I was tempted to have a saying, if you're happy and you know it, stamp your feet. But I'm not going to do that. I just hope you're joyful. I just gave you six great reasons to be joyful. Let's pray. Lord, restore the joy of our salvation. Help us to focus on these things and not our problems. That no matter what happens in life, you're never going to stop loving us. And all these other benefits, Father, are true. And I pray that you help us live in joy, not just these few moments here in church, not just today, not just when our team wins, not when life goes our way. But let us live in your joy day after day, month after month, decade after decade, year after year. We pray it in the name of Jesus who brings this joy. Amen.